0: Alright, so last week, church, let's dive into God's Word. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 7 up to 23 and we saw the Pharisees and the scribes. And they come to Jesus from a ways away. They come to Jesus and they begin to question Him and, and, and His disciples about their cleanliness is really the issue. The Pharisees were quite bothered and upset that the disciples did not do what we would call a ceremonial hand washing before they sat down to eat. And they began to insinuate that they were unclean and sinful by not following the traditions of the elders. And if you recall, this, this, this hand washing wasn't about hygiene, right? It was, a, it, was, it was about the tradition that had been passed down by these Pharisees and scribes. Where you would pour water over your hand in a certain way um, to show yourself to be clean of whatever or whomever you may have touched that day. If you touched something that they considered unclean, or if you touched to a Gentile, they were considered unclean. So you needed to do that ceremonial cleansing. And so these Pharisees and these scribes come to Jesus, and that's what they're worried about. They're worried about a ceremonial act of washing their hands. It was an outward expression. An act that was not even law for them to follow. That was for the priest before they, they went into the tents. And so, so, they, so Jesus, they were worried about that. Jesus was more worried about their hearts. Sometimes we get worried about what we look like on the outside. Jesus cares about what we look like on the inside. Because as much as we pretend or put on a the spiritual show, Jesus still sees our hearts, doesn't he? We can't hide that from him. And he saw their hearts. He saw these leaders' hearts. And and he knew they were more worried about how they looked and how they acted and how they uh, spiritually presented themselves than they they were more worried about that than they were their own hearts. And Jesus said in in chapter 7, that's where we're going to be at today, Mark chapter 7, starting in 24. But in verse 15, he says, There is nothing outside of a man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles the man. And a few verses later, Jesus tells us what our hearts look like. Murderous, adulterous. You remember that? right? That was That was fun to go through, right? This is what our heart is without Jesus. And that's a great reminder for us, and it's still a great reminder. Jesus sees our hearts. He sees our condition. And he said, you know what? I know what you look like. I know what's in your life. I know what's in your mind. But I'm still coming. Right? And I'm still gonna make all things new if you believe in me. And if you believe in me, don't worry about the hand washing stuff. I will make you clean. You can be forgiven. You can have a restored relationship with God and you can be made new in Christ. And so in our text today, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, I say this every week, but take one of those. Those are our gifts to you and have that Bible there. But Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And right after that time of confrontation with the Pharisees and when Jesus is teaching his people, Jesus is going to leave that area. This is where we're at today. He's going to leave that area where he's done all of his teaching and and all of his miracles and ministry. And he and his disciples are going to go into a different region for a period of time. And some think that that he's getting away to get some R&R, some think that it's it's to have some alone time with his disciples, maybe some time to teach them or to encourage them or to prepare them, which is highly possible, because if you look ahead in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is going to tell his disciples that soon that Jesus will suffer and die and rise again. And so it is possible that they're getting away to have some of that personal prep time, but... As we know, nothing catches Jesus by surprise and he knows that there are opportunities awaiting him as he heads north. And So let's turn our attention to Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 37. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 through 37. If you would stand with me as we honor God's word and just follow along as I read. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre and when he had entered a house he wanted no one to know of it yet he could not escape notice but after hearing of him a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet now the woman was a gentile of the syrophenician race and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter and he was saying to her let the children be satisfied first but it is not for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter and going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Verse 31, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. So what Jesus is doing, he's kind of doing this horseshoe thing. He's coming, he's gone up and he's coming back around. Within the region of Decapolis, they brought to him one who was deaf and sought uh, and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched the tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to them, Epitha, which is be open. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Verse 37, they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. And God, as we sit here today, let us know that you love us. That you came so that we could have a life with Christ. So we could be freed from the the, the slavery of sin. And God, it's out of that love that we want to respond to you with love. And we want to we'll hear from you this morning and respond in obedience to you. Father, open up our ears to hear you this morning and what you have for us. And God, as we walk out of here this morning, help us not be the same. Help us be changed by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. So God, we give you our time. Be in charge today, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we see in the first few verses that Jesus and his disciples, they traveled quite a way to this area of Tyre and then Sidon. And it says that that Jesus, he entered a house. Not wanting anyone to know of it. The, the intent was probably just to have some alone time. We talked about that, some prep time. But we see in verse 25 that a woman hears that Jesus is in town. We know this. His fame has, has spread, so they know who Jesus is. Right? These people know who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And so this woman goes and finds Jesus. And even though the goal was to be alone, I love this. I love, look at Jesus' response. I love that Jesus doesn't see this woman as a distraction. He doesn't see her as a nuisance. He doesn't send her away. Right? And when we see who she is from the, from the mindset of the, of the Jews, it would probably baffle the normal Jewish person as to why Jesus didn't send this woman away. And here's why. Here's, here's a few reasons why it would, it would throw us off if we were Jews. The first reason is this. Jesus has left the area where the Jews were. And now they're in an area where the Gentiles are living, right? That's the big population right now. And we talked a little bit about it briefly last week, that they looked at the Gentiles as unclean. But this particular area was also not only known for being unclean, but for their long history of opposition to Israel which is where Jesus has been serving, right, and doing ministry. And on top of that, this was a people group that was known for their pagan beliefs. In fact, it was it was probably the, the, the most active, right? It was probably the most extreme in their paganism. This was not a, a people group that a Jewish person would have been anywhere near comfortable visiting. Does that make sense? They wouldn't have been comfortable visiting this area. But here we have Jesus amongst the Gentiles. And he's talking with this Gentile woman. And the fact that that, that she is a lady makes a difference. Remember, in both cultures, women were not high on that social totem pole. Are you with me? Right? And And so the fact that she is coming to Jesus and she's coming to him without a man with her was very significant in that time. And in verse 25, But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Verse 26, Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him, asking Jesus, to cast the demon out of her daughter. So this lady, we get to know a lot about this woman, right? She was born and raised in that area amongst their ways and their, and their beliefs. She was a Gentile, she was a lady, she was, she was amongst this pagan culture, and she was unclean considered unclean so the fact that she had come to jesus really it's a big deal are you with me church it's a big deal and it's even a bigger deal i think that jesus didn't send her away when you think about their culture but here she is falling down at the feet of jesus really begging jesus to help save her daughter who had an unclean spirit she's demon possessed and jesus begins to talk to her in verse 27 he doesn't send her away he's now going to talk to her and he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now when you first read this, you might want to say, time out, this makes no sense. Who's the children? Who's the dog? What is happening here? What does this have to do with this unclean spirit, right? What is, what is going on? It might even sound a little insulting, like somebody's getting called a dog here, right? It's, it's going to sound a little insulting. Anybody here like to be called a dog? Right? Are you with me? So, so, it might even sound like he's calling her and her daughter a worthless dog. And I'll talk about that, but it, that's not it at all. So let's look real quick so we understand what Jesus is saying. And we'll also see that this lady in this picture, she gets it. She understands what Jesus is saying. Jesus talks about the children. When he's talking about the children, he's talking about the people of Israel. He's talking about the Jewish people. And when he mentioned dogs, that's the part that might throw you back a little bit. Because it wasn't like a what's up dog type thing, right? I don't think they had that back then, Doug. But, right, but this is, it might throw you off a little bit because the Jews, they would often refer to the Gentiles as dogs. Here's the important part to study the language a little bit. They're using, that's a, that's a Greek word to talk about like a, an, an unclean, filthy scavenger type dog. That's the normal dog that a Jew calls a Gentile. But Jesus isn't using that word at all. Jesus uses the word that describes a little dog, a, a puppy, right? In fact, it's a, he's describing a household pet that is loved and taken care of. So when we look at what Jesus says, it begins to make sense. He's telling this Gentile woman, he says, let the children be satisfied first. When Jesus came into this world church, his first responsibility is to the people of Israel. There we go. Some of you got all right. So it's the people of Israel, right? He first shared the gospel and served with the people of Israel. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Read that with me. To the Jew first and also to the, the Greek. The Greek would be the Gentile. So the Jew first and then the Gentile. So Jesus is saying that my salvation and the gospel is available to all but I came first to the people of Israel and then out to the rest of the world. Are you with me? Does that make sense? And so he he he's kind of sharing in, in, in kind of a way of saying like this. He's saying like just like a, a like a love puppy. I know that sounds weird, right? Like a love puppy all have a place in the household of God. We have a pug named Spencer. Right? Cutest ugly dog I've ever seen in my life, right? But he, when it is dinner time, Spencer knows to where where to make camp. Are you guys with me? Any of your guys' dogs do that, right? His first choice is right next to our little one-year-old, right? And she is so clever; she'll grab a hold of that food off her thing, and she'll just be like, you know. And sometimes Spencer will come up and grab it. But when we catch on to that, which we know what's happening. We're just kind of letting her have her fun. But when we catch on to that and kind of, you know, she spins her away from there. Then he goes to the next person that is more likely to drop food on the floor. So he goes and sits by Jessica. So. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. All right. He goes by our five-year-old. I'm going to get that. Hey, Amen. He goes to our five-year-old, right? Because that's the, that's the kid that's going to drop the next, the, the next most food on the floor. Jesus, in the story, is not being insulting at all to this lady. He's telling her God's design and God's plan for salvation and the spreading of the gospel. Jesus was sent first to the Jews, but all would hear the gospel. Either by it spreading through the Jewish people or through whatever way God seemed fit. The gospel is for all. Salvation is available for all who hear and receive Jesus. And this woman, she gets it. She understands what Jesus is saying. And she doesn't respond with pride or in anger. She, she replies humbly and understanding. In, verse, in, tw- in fact, in verse 28, she says this. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Listen to this. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She takes Jesus' analogy one step further. And in a humble way, but also in a very bold way in faith, she says, I know I'm not worthy. By the way, we can all say that, can't we, church? None of us are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me, church? Until we understand that, man, I, I just, none of us are worthy. But she says, I know I'm not worthy. She says, I know I'm, I'm undeserving. She says, but I know I need it. So even if it's through the crumbs, even the crumbs of your gospel, Jesus are good enough, right? A crumb from Jesus is all I need. I don't know if you're hearing that in the same way that I am, but this is a huge statement of faith from this lady right here. A few weeks, a few weeks back, we, in, in, in a few chapters back, we had this woman that had an unclean illness right the, the issue of bleeding and she didn't go to jesus and she didn't go to, to find him to, to talk to him or to get a hug from him or even to shake his hand right she had such faith in jesus that even a little touch of his garment from behind would heal her same type of faith right here church this gentile woman is saying your crumbs jesus are enough for me your crumbs so such humility right and Jesus sees that and, and her great faith in verse 29. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. Because of your faith in me, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter, and going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed. The demon have left. You know what's amazing about this? This is this is just free. This isn't even my notes. Jesus casts out a demon from a distance. You know, it's always like right before it's like, get out and go or, you know, like whatever. But this is from a distance. He's not anywhere near them. In Matthew's account of this occurrence, we read this in Matthew 15, 28. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is what, church? Your faith is great. Let's try that again. Ready? Your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This lady knew All I need from Jesus and what he offers is just a crumb of it. And I'm good. Because even a crumb from Jesus will be enough to completely heal and rescue my daughter. What faith in Jesus she had. All I need, the the, the unclean woman a few weeks back, all I need to do is just touch this garment and I'll be cleansed. This woman is saying, all I need to do is 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 just a crumb from you. That's all I need is just a crumb. And you're going to rescue my daughter. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul is telling us about God. Remember, he's been with the Jewish people, but now he's out with the Gentile people. And it says this, talking about God, it says, Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? God may have come to the Jews first, but his desire is that all will hear the gospel and all will come to know Jesus and be saved. Amen, church, all people. Jesus says in John 1, 8, that those that follow him, if you know Christ, if you've been saved, then we are all to be his witnesses, right? And we're to go. And the Bible tells us where to go. It says that you shall be my witnesses. You shall tell people about me and the gospel and what I've done for you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem. See where it starts? In Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the Jewish people right now, where where Jesus was at would have been the ends of the earth. Even in the Great Commission passage, in Matthew 28, Jesus says that we're to to go make disciples, to, to tell people about Jesus, to tell others how to follow Jesus, to share the gospel with all nations and all people groups. Isn't that great that Jesus didn't just come for white people or black people or whatever people? Are you with me, church? Man, and I'm just, I, I told our membership class this morning if you're going to heaven only expecting your race there, man, you are in for a big disappointment. He came for all people. Jesus doesn't reject this woman just because of what she looked like, he doesn't reject her because of her ancestors or because of her people group. He sees her, church. He hears her. He teaches her, and he has compassion on her and her daughter. Jesus is exampleing right here. That all people matter. And that all people can have a place in the household of God if they turn to Jesus and believe in the gospel. Church, this morning, where are your eyes? What are you beholding? Are your eyes on Jesus this morning? Do you have faith in Jesus and in his gospel? And if the answer to that question is yes, then my next question is this. Are you removing all barriers to share that same gospel that saved you with others? Looking to verse 31, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and he came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. So Jesus is traveling again, he's finishing that, that horseshoe travel and it says that they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hands on him so first we have this woman this 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 mother coming to Jesus and she calls him lord let's not skip over that she calls him a gentile woman calls him lord and she's worshiping him at his feet. And on behalf of her daughter, she begs Jesus. If you look at other passages, she kept coming back and back and back. When the disciples are like, get, you know, no, go. He, she keeps coming back. She's begging Jesus to rescue her little daughter. And Jesus speaks of her great faith and delivers her daughter. And now just like that mom, you have these men that bring their friend to Jesus. And listen to this simple question they ask him would you please just lay your hands on our friend they didn't say come and do some kind of worship service over him or you know sprinkle some water or you know anything like that they just said just touch him. having faith in what a simple touch from jesus could do think about this for a minute one thing i like about What Mark is doing here is he's allowing us to be in their life. He's allowing us to see who they are. Think about this for a minute. We don't don't know if he was always deaf and had these talking issues or if it happened at some point in his life. But think about this man. He couldn't hear himself talk. He couldn't hear himself sing. Probably couldn't sing. He couldn't hear others tell him, I love you. He couldn't hear laughter. He couldn't hear David Crowder's new music. that's coming. You get what I'm saying? Like he can't hear music. He couldn't speak his thoughts. He couldn't tell other people that he loved him. You get what I'm saying, church? He was probably overlooked in society. But you have friends. Thank God for friends that care about him and they bring him to Jesus. And we see how Jesus engages with this man in verse 33. Church, I don't want us to miss this part. Jesus took, bless you, him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Try to see this picture. There's no doubt people all over the place, everywhere he goes, People are wanting to be around Jesus, to touch him, to hear from him, to see his next miracle, to be healed by him. But Jesus takes the time to be personal with a man that couldn't even hear him and really couldn't even speak to him. He relied on others to bring him to Jesus and ask Jesus on his behalf. We know Jesus loves the crowds of people, right? Not in a pompous way. He loves them. We see that he continually throughout the New Testament. He he saw the crowds and had compassion on them. He loves the groups of people. We read throughout the Gospels that Jesus would go to villages. And he would go to cities. And he would go to countrysides to be with the people. But here we see Jesus have a personal touch. Jesus is about people. Not just populations. And he's about individuals and the needs of each person. And so here, Jesus pulls this man aside. It's just he and Jesus. And it says that Jesus put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And at first, again, that might, some, you might look at that and say, Jesus, you are weird. What are you doing? Right? Right? Why would he do these things? But listen to me very clearly, church. Jesus was communicating to this man in a way that he could understand. He was using nonverbal cues in in order to say what he was about to do for this man. Because this man could not hear, Jesus used his own form of sign language to tell him that he was about to, to heal this man's deafness. By putting his fingers into his ears and with touching his tongue, Jesus was telling this man, "I'm going to restore your speech." Jesus was communicating with him. By also, but but he's also saying, "Man, I'm going to personally touch you and heal you." Church, think about this for a second. Jesus knows your language. Let that sink in for a little bit. Jesus knows. Your language. He knows how to connect with you. He knows how to reach you. He knows how to serve you. He knows you. He doesn't just see you as a Tsonian or a Rita Ranchian or a Villian or a Valian or whatever. He knows you personally. He even he knows us as authentic lifeians. No, here, hear me But he knows you personally amidst that. Right? If you're here today, Jesus knows you personally. You may be in this room today and you're struggling, and you just kind of feel like you're just you're just part of the crowd. I'm lost in the crowd. Or you may even think, man, I'm in this crowd, I've been in this crowd for a long time, and no one notices me. Let me, I'm going to tell you, I wept over this. That I, Jesus knows you, and he hears you, and he's speaking your language. I had a moment not that long ago where I was in a crowd of people, and I felt alone. You ever feel that way? I felt like nobody heard me. I felt like no one saw me, which is ridiculous because I'm loud, you know. Right, Pastor Jamie? Yeah. But, but I, just rest, I just wrestled with that with God, and I said, God, I just need to be, I'm good because you know me. And you hear me. And you see me, and you know this pain that I'm walking through, or this excitement, whatever it is, and you speak my language. Look to verse 34. And looking up to heaven with a, with a deep sigh, he said to them, Ephethol, which is Be open. And his ears were open, and the epitome of his, uh, of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And I even want to take that a little bit further. Think about this. Especially if he had been that way from birth, man, he's got to learn how to do all of that. And Jesus did it all with a touch. Jesus has a moment here. He has it with the Father Right? He, 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 he looked up to heaven and he had a moment with this man. He's looking up to heaven signifying that the power of God and the work of God that is about to happen in this man's life. And then Jesus took a deep sigh. And we could pass by this quickly, but there is something church to this sigh. It was communicating something about the intimacy of God and the personalness of God. Consider why we sigh, church. We don't just sigh for the fun of it, right? When we sigh, there is something that is welling up inside us. There's an emotional connection, I remember when we were going through foster training, we were at one of our very first trainings. We hadn't known many people and we're standing, there wasn't even any room because there was. we were in a small place and, and they had pictures of little children that were in the foster system and they were telling their stories and they're saying, this person does this and this person has been sexually abused and this person was neglected and we this person had, had bugs on them and this person didn't have anything but a trash bag to their name. Are you getting me? And we're sitting there and I'm listening and apparently I sighed. During the middle of this, and so we start meeting with these people, and and starting to get to know other people. And this, this, you know, we're trying to say, who are you? Who you married to? How many kids you have? Why are you fostering? What do you do for a living? And so when it was my turn, I said I was a pastor, and the girl goes, "That's it. I knew you were a pastor." I said, "Why did you know I was a pastor? You have the pastor's sigh." That's what she said to me. I don't know what the pastor's sigh is, Mike. What's the pastor's sigh? Do Do we know? Like I, I don't know, but. No, we do. There's an emotional connection when we sigh. I believe that this is an expression of Jesus and his love and his compassion for this man, first of all, but also it's great grief over sin. Sin that has caused separation between God and man. Sin that has consequences, church. And I believe this sigh is both his compassion for this man and his brokenness over sin. God made things to be good, church. And right, and things that are wrong in this world are due to sin. And Jesus is grieved over that. There's a longing in Jesus that all things would be made right and good. And Jesus could have simply looked this man's way from a distance and said, Hey, man, you're healed. Way to go, man. And I think this guy would have been a okay with that, right? But Jesus made it personal. He called him out of the crowd and he touched him and he spoke to him and he spoke his language and he healed him. His ears were open open and he began to speak freely, church. I love the love that God has for us. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. A way to restore that broken relationship that our sin caused. I love The love that God has for his children. When we trust Christ, the Bible tells us that although we were far from him, when we are saved, we aren't only just brought into the crowd with Jesus, we aren't just brought into a a relationship with Jesus, but we are fully adopted into his family, church. We are fully adopted into the family of Christ. And so we are loved corporately, but he loves us individually and he knows us personally. Let me try that again. He knows us personally, church. He loves us personally. Amen? I think about my kiddos. Think about your kiddos or whoever it is in your life. They're all different. Different personalities, different things that upset them or scare them or make them happy. Things, Many things that are similar about them, but still things that make them very unique. And I could go and tend to one of my, just talking about my boys, I can go and tend to one of them that's hurting in one way, and it will help them. But when another child is hurting from the exact same thing, Jessica and I, we handle that differently because we know them. They're mine. They're not just Vanderford boys. but They're Jacks. And they're Brody. They belong to Jessica and I, and we know them. And God reminds us that if we are saved we are his and he knows it. if you're a person in this room today i think i don't have to have you raise your hands if you're a person right everybody here's a person if you are alive just hear this okay maybe most of your people i don't know jesus loves you personally he came for you personally he has compassion for you personally and he speaks to you and knows you personally he died for you personally he rose again from the dead personally for you and he's coming back for you personally church are you with me how awesome is that he knows the good and the bad and he still wants us not from a distance but up close and personal Verse 36, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Jesus had his reasons as to why he was telling them not to spread the news, but they were obviously a little too excited to keep that to themselves. I get there's a bit of disobedience there, but I want to talk about this. Do we have that in us? Do you have that in you? Now do you look like you have it in you? Do you really have that passion in you? A passion to proclaim Jesus wherever you go. How does that look in your daily life? Gentiles unclean dogs proclaimed Jesus. Americans, unclean dogs and Jesus came for us. Are we proclaiming Jesus? They proclaimed him, church. So Jesus had just healed this man and those that were around responded this way. They were utterly astonished saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They were blown away by who Jesus is and what he did in their life. When we spend time with Jesus and see him as he is and just even get a glimpse, a crumb of who Jesus is and just get a crumb of the feel of the love and the compassion that he has for you, if you truly see this and you truly recognize that in your life, you will be left utterly astonished, church. There's no other way to walk away from that. If we're not walking away from our time with Jesus utterly astonished, we're missing something. And here in our text, they were utterly astonished and they were saying, church, they're saying this, he has done all things well. There is more to that statement than we might see at first. It says he's done all things well. This statement takes us back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, when God, during creation, he created light. And in Genesis 1, 4, it says that God saw the light and it was Good. Same word used here, right? He he has done all things well or he's done all things good. God created the waters and the land and vegetations and trees and trees and and he created the creatures in the sea. And the Bible tells us with all of that creation, he saw it and it was good. Yes, you guys are getting it, right? And he took the time with us. To not just speak mankind into creation from a distance, but he got up close and he made mankind in his image. He personally formed you and I and man and breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. And he made mankind to have a relationship with God and he gave them rule over creation and gave them responsibility. And the Bible tells that his greatest creation was good. And he steps back and it's all very good. And here we see Jesus, also known as Emmanuel, God with us. And God used these people that saw the miracles and healings of Jesus to proclaim Jesus and to proclaim that what he did was good. And even in their statement, he makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This too carries big theological significance. Here's the thing. This statement is recalling what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 35, 5 through 6. Isaiah is writing about the coming Messiah. He doesn't even know who he is yet. He just knows he's coming, and he writes this about the Messiah. He says this, let these words list, uh, uh, reside within you and see if they sound like Jesus. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the depths of the tongue... Of the the, the depths of the tongue. Let's start over. I can't even, can't even get away with that one. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for water will gush into the wilderness and streams into the desert. He's talking about Jesus, right? Mark is pointing out to us with these statements just who Jesus is. He's the promised Messiah. He's God. He's come to make things new. He's come to make things good. He's come to make things well. He's the promised Messiah. The one sent from heaven to save us. This Jesus that we have been reading about in Mark, this Jesus that we have seen teach and cast out demons and forgive sins and make the lame to walk and the blind to see, we've seen him calm the storms with three words, hush, be still. He's fed thousands with two fish and five loaves of bread. And he's come and he calls us to repentance. He calls us to turn from our sin and to believe in the gospel. He calls us to follow him in church. He calls us to be with him. And out of our time with him, he sends us out to serve him and to live through us. He sends us out, church, so that we too can share the gospel to proclaim Jesus. This life-saving, life-changing, eternal-making, forgiving, giving God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what the gospel is? We get to share that if we want to be like Him and we want to be used by Him, church, we take notice of the love within us that He has given us, that He so loved us, the love that is that is from Him, the love that He so freely gave us. Man, we don't deserve that love. And when we see the love that He's placed within us and what He's done for us, we don't walk out of here satisfied that we've heard from Him today, church. We walk out of here Changed. We walk out of here feeling loved. We've walked out of here feeling challenged. We walked out of here feeling encouraged. And we walk out of here with three things on our mind and in our hearts today. And here they are in closing. The first thing is this. That salvation is available for all. Galatians 3.28 tells us that there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you were all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus proved that. He went and shared the gospel with those that weren't Jews. All um, And all of our lives that that we are saved right now, are proof that Jesus made salvation to all. If you're saved today, Jesus made salvation to all. The second thing is this. Jesus wants us to become like Him. When we see Jesus, do we want to become like Him? Because when we see Him, When we watch his life, he's continually seeking people. He's continually with the people, being with them, having compassion on them, and not worrying about who they are, but taking the gospel to them. He is selfless and obedient to the will of the Father. So first we realize that salvation is available for all. Second, is that if we're called to be like Jesus, that means we're to take the gospel to all people. Aren't you grateful someone was faithful to God's calling in their life for you I remember moment after moment my dad on the side of his bed telling me about Jesus I remember going to a church that was faithful and telling us about Jesus I've grown up and learned as I get older and older and older more people that prayed for me to know Jesus and I'm grateful that they were obedient to that Are you obedient to that? And third is this. In this text, we see people that have humility and a hunger for God. Church, God is drawn to humility, and he's drawn to those that are hungry for him. As you follow Christ, is it out of humility, as in this? Jesus, however, whenever, wherever, whoever, I trust you. And I will follow you. And as you follow Jesus, are you hungry for him? And I believe that if we're truly humble before God and hungry for God, obedience and sharing the gospel and loving others, that will just flow out of that relationship. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you might feel unworthy. You are. I am. Right? But God says, I'm going to prove my love towards you. In fact, I already did because I already knew you were going to sin. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He doesn't give a rip about what he does, but about what anybody else thinks. He loves you personally. He created you personally. He calls you personally. And he wants to have a relationship with you personally. If you don't know Jesus, listen to his call in your life. Whenever he says, follow me, I'll make you new. I'll make you white as snow. I'll give you a new heart. I will adopt you into my family. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I know Jesus. But I'm not really pursuing him out of humility and out of a hunger for him. I'm going to ask you, church, to beg God to give you that humility. I know it's a tough one. And to give you that hunger for him. Because it's out of those things that we will realize the love God has, not just for me, but for the person sitting next to me that doesn't know Jesus and will spend eternity in hell. Are you with me? And Jesus is showing his compassion right here. Let's, let's be hungry for him.